Before we jump in, I want to thank my friends over at Samaritan Ministries for sponsoring today's podcast. Don't be limited by networks when it comes to choosing your healthcare provider. There is another way. Samaritan Ministries is a community of Christians who pay one another's medical bills without the use of insurance. As a member, you'll have a biblical, affordable way to pay your medical needs where you're free to choose from the doctors, the treatments, and the hospitals that are best for you and your family when and where you need them. After care is received, your medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries and they'll notify members to pray and send money directly to you to help you pay those bills. Members also have access to an online community of support and health resources to help keep medical bills and prescription costs low through discounts and fair pricing. Healthcare freedom can be yours today. You can see how by going to SamaritanMinistries.org forward slash dad tired. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org forward slash dad tired. I think one of the main tensions that I feel as like a follower of Jesus and a dad is where does that balance come in when it comes to like leading my family well? I don't want to be the guy who you just go to church on Sunday and then there's no Jesus for the rest of the week. You know, you're just like a a one hour a week Jesus guy. But I also don't want to be the guy where if someone's like, hey, what do you want for dinner to go like, well, you know what? I just feel like it might be a time of spiritual fasting and if we were so as much worried about the growth of Christ Church as we were about what we were having for dinner, I think we'd be in a much better place spiritually in the American church. You know, where you're like, you just kind of Jesus juke people and you like always move things to spiritual matters all the time so that you can't really have a rational conversation with those people. And I feel that with my kids too. Like I want to discipline them and I want to point them to Jesus, but I don't want them to grow up resenting it because I so force fed them Jesus in every single conversation that they weren't really given the space and the room to process what it was happening or to, you know, if they were like, hey, dad, I'd like a cheeseburger, you know, from this place and that I have to go like, well, before you do that, let's think about where we're spending our money, shall we? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Those are some of the things that I think we always all feel as dad and as Christ followers, because we've all met someone who we can't stand being around because they say that they're a Christian and they're not. And there's also people who say they're a Christian and you would never be convinced that they weren't because all they do all the time is either make you feel guilty or talk about some biblical premise. And the Bible is extremely important and it's super like that. But I think we know what we're talking about. It's like that that balance between being a Christian but not being a weird Christian. And I think one of the areas in my parenting that I felt like especially convicted of is there's this principle that, that really permeates the Old Testament and then travels into the New Testament that I think sometimes we don't do great as dads, something that I don't do great personally. And that is the Bible reminds us again and again that our hearts are fickle, that we are we're kind of what have you done for me lately type of people. And if you ask someone, what were all the hardships of this past year? They'd probably be able to articulate a little bit more accurately or maybe come up even with a bigger list of moments in the year where they've faced a great deal of difficulty or they might even speak more passionately about the difficulty that they've had this year than if you were to ask them, hey, where are all the places where God really came through for you this year? That list might be shorter. It might be more vague. It might be more, well, if I ask you what your hardships were, you might be like, well, December 17th of last year, I really experienced this. But if I said, what did God do for you this past year? It might be like, well, we're, we've all been relatively healthy. And the biblical premise that we see again and again in scripture is the idea of altar building, particularly like in the book of Samuel. There, it actually it shows up in a, a Christian hymn called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing to My Heart to Sing Your Grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing flow from songs of loudest praise. But the second verse, which I think a lot of us, we just kind of skip over because we don't really understand what it means, but we don't ask the question. It says, here I raise my Ebenezer, hitherto thy help have come. And I remember thinking about that one day, like, what in the heck are we saying? Like, 
When I say Ebenezer, what do you think of, right? Scrooge. It's the grumpy dude from the non-green grumpy dude of Christmas. You know, you've got the Grinch and you've got Scrooge. And whenever someone's being kind of a butt at Christmas time, you can call him one of those two things. But Ebenezer, that actually is a, it's a profound biblical concept that the Lord instructs his people to in the Old Testament that might have been lost a little bit in modern day language and eras that I think it might be important for us to recapture. And that's that when the Lord would give the people a great victory, he would have them set up a helpstone. That's what the word Ebenezer actually means. It means the Lord has helped me to this place. So Eben Etzer, that, that word is the same one we get for like helper, helpmate. So after they'd be victorious in battle that they shouldn't have won, or after they would, they would have accomplished something, or when he leads them out across into the wilderness out of Pharaoh's reach, and he consistently asks them through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the early church fathers from back in the Old Testament to set up a place of remembrance, that not just for them, but for their generations, they would remember how the Lord had been faithful. And I think that's important because as Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked beyond all taming. So when we think about how the Lord has been faithful, sometimes it can be harder to pull out certain things. One of my mentors in college, he did this really well. When he would have some great victory in his family, they would actually establish in their family like a help stone, whether it was an actual stone or they would go to like the local trophy shop and they would just inscribe how God had been there for them in this season or, or some great victory. Like maybe it was a job promotion or maybe it was someone got sick or they finally experienced fertility after a season of infertility. The cool thing was, is then when they would walk through their house, they would see this shrine of God's faithfulness. They would just see all of these reminders, these help stones, these Ebenezers, if you will, that showed of God's faithfulness to their family. And I really want to do that with my kids. I, I think of how important it was in my life to have older men and older women share with me how God had been present in their life. And I don't think that I do a very good job with that with my kids especially in my story, I've gotten to talk a lot about how God has gotten me through hard times, like in losing my wife last year and and the different experiences like that throughout my life. But I think if you asked my son, like Peyton, how has God been faithful to your family to bring you to this point in your life? I don't even know that he'd know where to start with that conversation. And so it's a biblical concept that I think it might be worth visiting and renewing and thinking about this idea that God is our help stone. He is an ever-present help in trouble. And as we think through those things, I just want to give us a couple of things to think about and maybe just a challenge for us too as men to say if we are really thinking about what it means to pastor and to foster spiritual health in our kids and to have that stick, it seems like this might be a big part of it that we might be missing. Maybe one of the most haunting passages in scripture takes place. It's in the book of Judges. And there is so much victory that took place through the story of Joshua and how they had conquered Jericho and they had taken down these pagan nations and kind of paved the way for the promised land. And then there's kind of a haunting verse that takes place in Judges chapter two. And it says this, and that whole generation died and was gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord and it did not know the work that he had done for Israel. And the next thing we see happen is this season of paganism and debauchery and kind of like restless pushback against Jehovah, against Yahweh for a season of time in the Bible. It just seemed like the baton of faith to pass on to the next generation was done really poorly. And I think I do it pretty poorly in my own household. And and that's kind of what I'm talking about. This. This isn't coming from a place of victory, but it's really just saying, here's something that I need to check in my own heart. 
How often do I give Jesus right praise and right recognition for the way that he's been faithful in my family? And not just that we cry out to him when we're hurting. And and that's part of his faithfulness, right? To be there in our hurt. But how many times, maybe experiences as a dad, there are so many times where something happens and it seems like coincidentally painful. Like someone drops a metal thing that had been near the fire and at just the right time they picked it up and it burned their hand and it was like, darn it, you know, like what a bad circumstance. But I think all the time of the thousands of ways that like maybe I'll be walking in the kitchen and I'll see a knife like on the counter and I'll just grab it and I'll put it away. And it's just like a passing thought or it's like a little like gentle nudge that I get from I don't know where to put it away. And I don't even know what was being prevented then. Like maybe nothing, maybe absolutely nothing was prevented, but maybe then the Lord knew that someone was going to walk in that kitchen and going to grab that thing and going to use it for something or stab the dog. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about what was going to happen, but Sometimes I think we focus on all of like the serendipitous pain that we go through, but we don't think about the thousands of ways that God provides and restrains the pain and the evil in our lives. And so I think maybe when he shows up, that's what I want to ask us. When God shows up in your life, what would it look like to set up a system of Ebenezer in your family? What would it look like to create even like a visual demonstration of the times that God has been faithful to you and your family? You know, if your kid gets sick and really sick and God is faithful to bring him through that. And you put that up there on your wall and maybe it is a rock. Maybe it's just like every time God does something, you can commission someone to go outside and to grab that stone, grab that help marker, grab that thing. And to say, this is how the Lord was faithful. This is July 15th of 2023. And we got through this or this is the great promotion that God allowed us to have that's going to create a little bit of margin in our finances. Or mom and dad were in a season of, of deep pain and, and, and we found a right counselor that was able to walk us through that instead of getting a divorce. And so we want to set those things up. And then how cool would it be that as our generations behind us grow up and as they see mom and dad getting older, they can always look over to that help stone or that series of help stones. And when tragedy hits, And when brokenness occurs and when pain enters the picture and when all those things take place, that we're actually creating a visual baton of faith that we can pass on to our kids where they're able to look at that and go, man, when has God been there for me? Or why does God feel so distant? And then they get that stark reminder of, oh yeah, July 17th. Oh yeah, January 13th. Oh yeah, this. Oh yeah, that circumstance. Oh yeah, that promotion. Oh yeah, that sickness was cured. Oh yeah, that adoption went through. Oh yeah, God was faithful in our wanting to have kids. And for me, I don't know what it is, but if I told you, you probably imagine this, if I'm going and I'm teaching somewhere, like I'm teaching to a church and let's say it's a fairly big church, right? Like say a thousand people go to the service and afterwards 50 people meet me out in the foyer or out in the lobby and they all want to tell you about how the service impacted them or whatever. And this actually happened to me a few weeks ago. So I was teaching at a church, a relatively large church and I get back in the lobby afterwards and it was just a cool line of people who had, they had been moved by the testimony of kind of what God had been doing in my life. And I did another one on apologetics with them there where I talked about how I saw God in in the details of life and whatever. But anyway, so I finished that talk and there's this cool line of people and it probably takes me 20 minutes to get through all of them and just to say hi to all them and give them hugs and, and, and just talk through their circumstances or if I could pray with them, whatever it was. And in the middle of it, there's this physics professor from San Diego State who walks up to me and he just says, hey man, I wanted to talk to you about your presentation. And I'm like, oh, okay, for sure. And then he starts like giving me critique on how he thinks that I was too personal with my story and that I should leave this and that out. And how I 
how I didn't get to the meat of what I wanted to talk about quick enough and how some of the analogies that I used were boring to him and whatever. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I taught two different services and I had probably upwards of a hundred people come and have great conversations with me. And I had one, one conversation of someone who was critical or harsh. Now, was there only one harsh or critical person who heard my sermon? No, but a lot of them just kind of go home where they go, Hey, this guy's not my cup of tea, or I didn't really enjoy that or whatever it was. But this guy wanted to come and kind of let me know personally, like, Hey, this just, this, this, <laughs> this didn't measure up to my personal expectation of how good this should have been. And, and I've worked on it. I've tried to muddle over and I've tried to like weed through and bring to bear what other people said that was positive or some specific example or some story that I was told in that group of a hundred that I was able to bring forward and talk about, man, oh yeah, that was really great. Or this person was really affirming because they said this, I can't bring any of it to mind, but I can almost tell you verbatim what that guy said, the tone that he had, the, what he looked like, what his name was. I remember everything about him. And I don't know if it's just the enemy working in our hearts, if it's just our human condition, that's right. It's, it's why we read newspapers a lot of the time. And it's why the first thing in the newspaper is almost always who died or who is caught in some scandal or who had a moral failure or who made a massive mistake or who lost everyone a whole bunch of money. Why? Because for some reason, bad news makes better press than good news does. And if we know that about ourselves, and if we know that if a thousand people give us an affirmation and one of us, one gives us a condemnation, we contemplate that, that condemnation all day. And it's difficult for us to bring to bear the affirmation. If that's true about our hearts, how important is it for us to dwell on, to think about, and then to give ourselves physical, visual reminders of God's faithfulness? God knows the human condition. And he doesn't set up altars to himself in the Old Testament for his own sake. Now, it is, it is to bring him glory. But I think it's as the people are wandering and the people are hurt or they're experiencing exile in Babylon or they just ask questions like, God, where are you right now? Something about being so acutely aware of where God has been all along is able to bring them comfort. It's able to, to bring them peace. And I want that legacy for my kids. I want that legacy for their kids. I want to start a new tradition in my household. And that's why I think that traditions in general can be so important for us. Like heading into the holiday season is a great time to start something new or the new year is a great time to start something new. And I do think that's why God calls us to these things over and over again in scripture. Like think of all the feasts and festivals that God institutes. Think of how many times Jesus presents an idea in the New Testament and presents it as something that he says, I want you to continue to do this or do this in remembrance of me or do this annually or do this all the time or do this with family, do this with friends. It's like Jesus understood something about the way that we're naturally built that I think we want to take advantage of. If my main goal is the spiritual health and discipleship of my kids, and if I've got another piece of the pie that I'm not participating in, and I'm not, I want to be a part of that. I want to do that. And I don't think it needs to be an eternal thing if it doesn't work out or whatever, but I do, I want to bring in as many practices as possible that I can find biblical basis for. Because you know what I know, my kids are going to get hounded day in and day out about the truth about the world, Right. Uh, secular truth, subjective truth. People are going to tell them all sorts of things about how messed up God is. And and I want them to have a physical, visual, tangible thing that they can look at and know that those things are not altogether true. A couple of weeks back, there's a student that was in my life group in when I was a high school pastor and he had leukemia and he died at like, I think it was 24 when he died. And it's like one of those painful things where you 
look at someone's life or, and again, I think it's, we do run across kind of a funny thing. I, I remember after Paige died, this is kind of an aside, but I remember someone walked up to me one time and they said, aren't you really mad at God? And I'd be lying if I told you I don't have those moments or have those seasons even where it's really easy to get angry at God or to get frustrated with that and everything. But in whatever moment of clarity that I had, I asked the guy that was asking me that question. I said, my hand is a timeline. And so I started expanding my hands. And I said, tell me when to stop. Every time I move my hand an inch is another year of life. And I'm going to move my hands and make them wider and wider and wider. You tell me when to stop when the passing of my wife would have made God a good God rather than a not good God. And then I started expanding my hand. Basically, what I was asking him to do is I was asking him to quantify what it looks like to have my wife pass away and have it be a mark towards God's faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, and love rather than where is God? What is this? And so I asked him to do that exercise with me. And so I started expanding my hands and I said, okay, she died when she was 28. Now she's 30. I'm going to keep going. She's 32, 34, 36, 38, 40. And arbitrarily, when she turned 70 with my hands expanding, he said, okay, stop. And I said, okay, so if someone's 70, if they die when they're 70, then God is still good. But if they die when they're 69, he's like, no, I I think a 69-year-old could die and God could still be good. And I said, okay, 68, right? It's like Dwight Schrute in the office where he's talking about how long his food is going to be preserved in the end of the world. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But that was kind of the same thing. Like this 25-year-old, his name's Tanner, and he had a pretty profound impact on my life, even in his passing. But people kind of wanted him to kind of go against the church or to go against God. And he just kind of stands up on this very public platform. And he basically says, like, do you have any idea how good God's been to me? Do you have any clue what God has done for me? Do you have any clue how interested I am in glorifying him? And I'm not about to turn on him now in the crux of life, in the crux of death, in the throes of death, when he feels more present than he ever has before. And and that's kind of the faith that I want. That's the faith that I want my kids to have. And if there's a way for us to be more proactive in creating those remembrances, I think it might be a worthwhile thing to do. So kind of here's my challenge to you in summation. Here's my challenge to you as we wrap up. It's to say, how are we? And I don't think maybe Ebenezer's are going to be for all of us. Maybe we don't want to set up help stones. We don't want to set up any kind of like physical visual example. Maybe instead of it's a photo album where we name and tag things and show exactly how God was faithful. Or, Or maybe it's just about being consistent with writing it down in our own personal journals and then sharing those audibly as the stories of our family once a month or once a year or once every six months, or whatever it is. But I do want to challenge us as men to say, where are we talking about the stories? And maybe you have this in your family, but I remember after my grandma passed away, how rarely the stories were told about who she was or what she was like or anything like that. And whenever I get the chance to hear those stories, I'm always really, it like brings me joy and I think about how many stories I have with my wife, Paige, and how important those stories are going to be to tell and to retell as the kids get older so they can more know the character of the mom that they don't know very well. They can know the character of the wife that I had for 10 years. They, they can know those things. How much more important it is, is it for us as fathers to regularly tell the stories that present the character of our father properly? The stories that we tell about someone become the very character that the next generation understands them through. And I think we as men need to do a better job in saying, I haven't done great in telling you the stories of my savior. I haven't done a great job in telling you the stories. Like even with my kids, like, man, I wish I could tell you guys the stories 
of how faithful your mom was or, or, or how present God was throughout our marriage or, or the difficulties that we walked through, but that God was faithful through. And part of my personal testimony is having older people tell me how in love with Jesus they were because of what he had done in their life. It's, it's what the revelation says that we're going to overcome the brokenness of the enemy by the power of the word of God, the blood of the lamb and the testimonies that we share. And I think maybe because we are an, an audible and or visual generation, or sorry, we are visual generation, we don't, we're not very good at telling stories. And maybe that's part of our calling as dads. Maybe part of our calling as dads is to be better storytellers of the faithfulness of God in our world and in our lives. And so that's my challenge to us as we kind of head into this week, as we talk through these things. And it's, it's a conversation to have with our wives. It's a conversation to have personally, just to say, where am I making plain? Where am I demonstrating the help stones? Where am I clearly broadcasting to my family how faithful God's been to us? It might not feel important today, but I promise you in different times in your life, when you feel God absent, when your kids feel like God's abandoned you, or you're just recounting how bad your year has been, looking back on those physical, tangible examples, those Ebenezer's and those help stones might make all the difference. Hope you guys can challenge me on that too. I'm going to walk in and I'm going to try this practice with my own family. Again, this is something that I want to do better. And I love this community that can both hold accountable and just share the wins, the victories, and the better practices that we might have. So here I raise my Ebenezer, hither to thy help I've come. We are prone to wander from the Lord. But when we look back on his faithfulness, we're more likely to stay tied to that rock of ages. And so that's my commitment to you guys is I'm going to give this a shot. I hope you guys can too. So we walk into a season that is just bathed in tradition. Maybe it's time to make a new one that really puts that focus on God and to to start something new in our families that's able to demonstrate what God has done for us up to this point in our life. We we just don't want the story of judges to be told about us, that there's going to raise a generation after us who doesn't know the stories of the Lord or what he has done for his people here in our households. So as always, we love you guys. We love that you're part of the Dad Tired podcast and the Dad Tired community. Talk to you guys next time. Hey guys, as always, hope that episode was helpful for you. If you want to keep the conversation going, make sure to go to connect.dadtire.com. Jump into our free community. Again, go to connect.dadtire.com. We'll see you guys next week.